Good evening, everyone. Last week, we discussed syphilis, which was frankly just one of the many diseases that became very prevalent in this time period. Through these different diseases, we had plenty of opportunities to study said diseases. And given that around this time there was more of a scientific approach, we actually learned a good bit more. So this week, we'll talk through the theories of disease that arise in this time period. The two most dominant concepts were epidemic constitution or contagion. Contagion just refers to the idea that diseases are spread from person to person. But what the heck is epidemic constitution? The term comes from the English clinician Thomas Sydenham. He believed that diseases fell into two groups. One were caused by atmospheric changes, and the other by specific susceptibility of the body. The first group, where changes in the atmosphere caused disease, was termed the epidemic constitution. Sydenham wasn't entirely sure what exactly was changing in the atmosphere, but he was a fan of the idea that a miasma, or some kind of tainted air, came from the earth and caused disease. He also considered the possibility that the diseases might be affected by the position of the stars, an astrological explanation for disease. But the idea that the atmosphere or the air could cause disease is certainly not new, but it had some evidence behind it at this time and remained very influential for centuries to come even if it was incorrect. It also did have some practical use, even if it is mostly wrong. For example, if you believe that miasmas that cause disease come from organic matter, a common scientific belief of this time period, then you might avoid decaying organic matter, which will conveniently help you avoid disease. Likewise, the belief that miasma might arise from infected wounds might lead you to isolate your patients from each other, which also might have some benefit, even if, again, the scientific logic underneath it is not quite right. It may be tempting to laugh at the idea of miasma, but I think given the knowledge available at the time, it's a fairly reasonable theory. But anyway, enough about miasmas or epidemic constitutions, let's talk about contagion. It's around this time that other physicians and some regular people began to believe that there was some kind of infectious agent that caused disease. This view was detailed in 1546, by Girolamo Fracastoro, in a book called On Contagion, Contagious Diseases, and Their Treatment. We actually met Fracastoro last week, although I didn't mention him by name. He was the guy who wrote the famous poem that gives syphilis its name today. Anyway, based on much objective observation and reasoning, he was able to figure out that the epidemic diseases are caused by tiny infective agents that can be transmitted and reproduced by themselves which is remarkably correct, especially considering microscopes don't exist yet, so you can't even see these infectious agents. Fracastoro called those infective agents seeds, and believed that specific seeds were responsible for specific diseases. Disease would occur when people were exposed to these seeds, and those seeds affected the humors and vital spirits of the body, which I guess if you took figuratively are, is kind of right. Fracastoro was of course right though that there are tiny agents of disease that spread and act on the body, but we're not quite at an understanding of germs yet. Fracastoro and his contemporaries more likely believed that these seeds were chemicals, not individual living organisms. Regardless, very impressive, and that's not all. He also recognized that these seeds could be spread directly from people to people, through intermediate agents like services or other animals, or through the environment, like in the air or water. Fracastoro was not the first person to come up with these ideas. He was influenced by many other greats, like Vero, Columelia, and Paracelsus, but he put together all of the past work, and in a relatively compact and understandable way. 
In doing so, he created the first comprehensive contagion-based theory of disease, which will compete with the idea of miasmas until the end of the 1800s. The idea of germs arguably begins in the 17th century. It is around a little before this time that the compound microscope is invented, which allows for the first time scientists really try to take a look at Fracastoro's tiny seeds of disease. Not that they were necessarily looking for that. Anthony van Leeuwenhoek was the first to observe microscopic organisms back in 1676. Leeuwenhoek was actually a cloth seller by trade who had no higher education whatsoever, making his achievements all the more impressive. He built his own rudimentary microscopes and found, among many other microscopic things, a few types of bacteria, calling them little animals, and reported his findings to the Royal Society of London. However, he didn't make any connection between these new organisms and disease, especially since he found his bacteria in seemingly harmless locations, like in rainwater, soil, and in healthy human waste. Leo Wenhook's discovery did spur plenty of other investigations, though. In short order, it was noted that these little organisms were all over the place, and especially in easily decomposable substances like sour milk or rotting meat. Two theories would arise about how these tiny creatures came to be. One theory held that they spontaneously generated from non-living tissue. The other correct theory was that these creatures reproduced themselves. It was known that these tiny beings could be found pretty much wherever decay or fermentation was occurring, and we know today that they are responsible for that process. But at the time, that had not yet been observed, and so many believe that the process of decay actually created the microbes, instead of the other way around. However, at this point, we've now got the two key parts of germ theory. Some scientists have figured out that diseases are caused by some sort of tiny spreadable agent. Some other scientists have figured out that there are tiny living organisms just about everywhere. Putting that together conclusively, though, is actually kind of difficult. A lot of people definitely tried, though. Some people put that together even before Leo Wenhook actually discovered microbes. For example, Girolamo Cardano, a famous mathematician and doctor of his time, suggested in 1557 that the seeds of disease were tiny animals, capable of self-replicating. However, Cardano didn't have, well, any evidence, until 1658, when a Jesuit named Athanasius Kircher claimed he observed a tiny organism causing the plague. Kircher was interested in the bubonic plague and was looking at infected blood from victims of the disease under a microscope, which was probably somewhat dangerous. But Kircher in the past had lowered himself into the smoking crater of a volcano out of scientific interest, so this is actually pretty tame. When Kircher observed tiny organisms moving in the blood, he concluded that they were responsible for the plague. His work was rather crude, and it's possible he actually observed red and white blood cells, but regardless, he was right. This set off a wave of enthusiastic microscope users who began hunting for germs. Unfortunately, the technology just wasn't quite ready yet, and results of studies and searches were mixed. It would not be until a good bit later, in the 1830s and 40s, that the germ theory would truly be revived. So that's where we've gotten thus far, in terms of figuring out that disease is caused by germs. Next week, we'll talk about some of the non-scientific advances that were made in this era, and then that will probably bring us into the late 1700s in the Enlightenment era. If you're enjoying the show, please let us know with a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Feel free also to reach out with the links in the show notes. I enjoy hearing from listeners, even if it's critical. Thanks as always to you, to my editor Jojo Tang, 
to my cover artist, Angie Lee, and to Muse Open for this music.